The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. I'm going to call this Grace Reigns, R-E-I-G-N. Grace Reigns Through Righteousness. Um, that's directly from the book of Romans, chapter 5. And I'm going to give you a little buffet, smorgasbord type deal uh, to wrap this up concerning righteousness. And this has been uh, what I've called righteousness versus condemnation, um, which are, you know, polar opposites, I guess you'd say, but are, um, you can't be both, right? Like we use the dead and out, you know, the, you know, we're dead or not, not really kind of dead. Usually. <laughs> you ever felt kind of dead? <laughs> um, or pregnant, you know, we use that one a lot, pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> not really so much of a kind of. It's an either or proposition, right? It, not too much of an in-between there. So, um, righteous, and I, you know, that's very important to, to understand. And I am going to, I got a few uh, quotations here I want to share. Um, and this was a massive, obviously, especially if you've studied it, a very, uh, at the heart of the issue at the Reformation was how does justification or righteousness, what does it really entail? What's it actually look like? What's it really mean? You know, um, and I think both sides of the of the you know, I believe there's still more. You know, the the Calvinist, Reformed, Luther, Augustine, that whole position, uh, which a lot more to it than this, but basically was, you're not good, at your core, born again, regenerate, new creation, child of God. You're still the old no good sinner that you have always been, but God, you know, throws a cloak, as it were, over you to cover your dirtiness, your badness, and when he looks at you, as as this teaching goes, he sees Jesus. Um, so you're not really righteous, is the teaching, you know, and that, that was more of the reformers in their side, and then the Catholic side, was you really do have so so the the Calvinist and it's a biblical term but it, re, it would require some unpacking on I agree it's a biblical term I I wouldn't agree how the reformers necessarily used it nonetheless imputed righteousness you know accounted credited right standing with God so you're not really righteous it's just imputed it's accounted to you as if you were righteous even though you're not, you sorry, sinful, no good, dirty, lower than warm, dirt, pathetic piece of less than nothing. That kind of mentality. Doesn't that just make you feel good? You know. Or as Luther infamously put it, the believer is as snow-covered dung. Hallelujah. This warms the soul. Now, uh, the Catholic side says, no, it's not fake pretend righteous, and when you get to heaven, God will dust you off, and then you'll really be, you know, a child of God. It's their side is what's called infused. It's infused into you, righteousness, which I would actually agree with. Your new nature, the, the born-again, new creation part of us is actually 
righteous. Not pretend, not covered up, not, you know, that whole thing. Problem is, uh, the way they interpret that into, in my opinion, the problem, into you're kind of sort of almost really only as righteous as your actions say you are. So I would say both sides sort of muddy it up, and I think we need to, there's a better middle ground, which is it is infused. You really are. God's not pretending you're right. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And as Brother Hagin said, among many other wonderful things on that, that scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, God wouldn't make a sin creation. If you're a new creation, sin is gone, old things are gone, all things have become new. You really are the righteousness of God in Christ. Um, but as Brother Hagin also taught, you don't grow in righteousness. There are certain things we can grow in, but right standing with God, you either are or you're not. There's no middle ground. There's no, yeah, kind of, sort of, but really only as righteous as you act. You know, none of that. Um, so I think the middle ground is, is the better. It's real righteousness. It's really part of your new nature. But thank God you're not actually only as righteous as your last action. Huh. Thank God. And the way that some of you acted on your way to church this morning, you should thank God for that. Who drove here by theirself today? Yeah, especially you. It was a rough. It was a rough drive here, getting along with that fella in your. <laughs> so I think that's the 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 better approach, and I don't. Uh, I think from Scripture we've been showing that. I just I think that's really important to understand, because it's easy to miss it. Um, and we'll look at this verse momentarily. Some of my favorites, Second Corinthians five. But verse 21, very well-known verse, especially among us faith people. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin was made sin, that we would be made the righteousness of God in him. And so it's two sides of the same coin. He, he became sin, we're made righteous. And so we are, we are made as righteous to the degree that he's made sin, right? So, Jesus didn't pretend to become sin. Just, just as, therefore, we're not pretending we're right with God or really clean or really forgiven or really sanctified and all that. It's for real, you know? And so it is important that we grasp um, that reality that Jesus really passed from life to death. Uh, but starting here, we're going to begin in Romans 5, and I do have a quite a few scriptures, you know, may or may not get to all of them, but um, we're going to start Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look to begin in verse 20, or verses 20 and 21. Romans 5, working. here we go. Anyways, Romans 5, 20, 21 says, Moreover, the law entered that sin would abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And then he says in verse 21, So that as sin reigned through death, so sin reigns through death, even so, Romans 5.21, even so, grace might reign through righteousness. Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, grace reigns, R-E-I-G-N, 
through righteousness, which is profound, I think, you know, which Paul said in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel, the good news, reveals the righteousness of God. So it reveals the free gift of righteousness, as he goes on to unpack, given to man as a free gift. So if if the grace of God is going to work in our lives, and not just work, but reign, you know, uh, have preeminence, predominance, etc., it comes through righteousness, or, you know, understanding our right covenantal right standing with God, which is awesome. So grace being the unmerited and empowering favor, blessing, goodness of God working in us, working in our lives, it, it becomes effective to the point that Paul says it even will reign. It's not just a, uh, an afterthought in the background somewhere. It's leading front and center, for, you know, through righteousness. Hallelujah. So it's pivotal that we get the righteousness issue right, which we've been working uh, diligently on through, through these past several weeks. Now check this out. Hebrews 5. I think this is so good. I got, a, again, several scriptures for you to try to, you know, wrap this up. Hebrews chapter 5. Then going to begin in verse 12. The author here says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And then he says, so by the time he says you ought to be teachers, you have need for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Notice this. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So the book of Hebrews, as well as the book of 1 Corinthians, um, according to the authors, it's, it's really amazing. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells them, you are up hitherto, you know, as it, up to this point, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, I've given you milk and not solid food, even though I, I would like to give you solid food. And then he says, and even now, you're not able to bear solid food. And that's in 1 Corinthians, where you have Chapter 5, Paul says, turn the man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul, his spirit rather, will be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, which is phenomenal in so many ways. You guys know this portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 5? Paul tells them starting at the beginning of the chapter, he says there's immorality among you, such as not even, is not even named among the Gentiles. <laughs> I mean, it's not great, you know. He says, not only are you not sorrowful about it, but the person doing this is bragging, more or less, kind of, you know, no big deal, you know, bragging about it, basically. And then Paul says, I, I've judged this situation as if I were present, he said, so the next time you come together, and the, the basis of the story was we know from many different places, particularly as you read in 2 Corinthians when he picks up the same account. Uh, it was just saying excommunicate the guy. You know, just kind of, if you want, here's how we say it today. 
If old Ken wants to live like the devil, just let him. You know, what can you do? You know, that kind of deal. We're, we're trying, but when you've had enough, you let us know. That's kind of what Paul was getting at there. And I, don't know that the, I don't know that the guy's name was Ken, but I have an inclination. It may have, no. <laughs> no. It's very, but that's, that's wild. 1 Corinthians 5. It's just one of those, it just, it's amazing. And, and Paul said, I turned such one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. He didn't say, God's going to judge you in his anger and wrath and, and violent temper and let you have it. No, he said, because God's not in the killing, stealing, destroying business. You know, God doesn't have, Hebrews also, there's a, another place here in Hebrews where he, the author says, we have a high priest who is harmless. So Jesus is not capable of hurting people, you know. Uh, but nonetheless, Paul says that the man who was engaging in such grotesque, unspeakable immorality, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5, turn such a one, quoting, over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, but his spirit will be saved. If, if, if bad works could unsave you, that would have been the time to point it out, right? Um, so living like, if you're saved, you know, living like the devil won't send you to hell, but it may get you to heaven a lot quicker. That makes sense? You know, God will let any of us destroy ourselves as whatever degree we want to, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Um, but nonetheless, notice here again, we're we are still in Hebrews, by the way. He says, verse 12, you, you, you need milk and not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not, NASB says, accustomed to the uh, word. Notice that, verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed. Now notice how you, you know, how he says this, to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. And this, to me, this gets, reminds me again of first where Paul says, I want to give you, I think chapter 3, I want to give you solid food, but you can't handle it yet. And again, you got chapter 5, turn somebody over to Satan. You got for the destruction of his flesh, but he'll be saved. And then you've got, you know, Chapter 7, where he deals with uh, marriage and those types of things. But you got chapter 11, the great communion chapter. You got chapters 12, 13, and 14, where you have the gifts of the Spirit, um, other things, agape, the love of God, um, how to use tongues for public assembly and interpretation of tongues and the gift of prophecy uh, for public assembly, as well as some things privately he dealt with. Chapter 15. You know, he deals with the eschaton, the end of death, the last enemy. All of that stuff, Paul says, is milk. Here, I mean, wouldn't you assume that's like pretty heavy stuff? I mean, generally speaking, Paul says, that's baby. Here he says in, in Hebrews 5, 13, notice this. For everyone who, who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. So he puts... The word of, as opposed to the work. This is Hebrews, after all. 
The law system was the work of righteousness, right? The new covenant is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Mark 11, Romans 10, a thousand other places, the word of righteousness. So Paul puts that understanding righteousness as solid food for the mature, all right? Then he says in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. The word of righteousness, solid food, the message, the word of righteousness is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And in the context, when he's talking about good and evil here, your spiritual senses uh, being trained, evil being the coming under any form of works righteousness, good being the word of righteousness, the solid food that he just referenced there. Now, um, I want to look in Isaiah 54 here, and I won't have that up here, I don't believe, my apologies. Um, Isaiah chapter 54 is incredible. Did you know that? Now you do. Isaiah, it really is. It's ridiculous good. Oh. And in particular, Abigail, Isaiah 54 in the New Living Translation. Oh, I got chills. I literally got chills. It's that good. And Galatians. Galatians in the New Living Translation is stupid good. Ridiculous good. Just so you know. And I say that as, as to say it's also, but it just puts it in such incredible, incredible um, ways. All right, Isaiah 54. Now, of course, this is on the heels of Isaiah 53, the great suffering servant, you know, Jesus and what all he endured for us, and then goes into chapter 54. And I'm shooting for the end of the chapter, uh, but there's just a few things here that are so good um, along the way. So let's do, look at verse 9, Isaiah 54, uh, starting in verse 9. I mean, just take these ver these verses, drink them in, Tat you know what to do with them, tattoo them where? Right. You go, you go to body armor or wherever you prefer to get your ink work done today. Take that eyelid of yours, flip that bad boy out like you did when you were a crazy kid with not enough sense to whatever. And tell him right there, baby, Isaiah 54, let it rip. So every time you close your eyes, there it is, baby. Hallelujah. This has nothing to do with anything, but that reminds me. Brother Norville used to say, among many other humorous things, you know, stand in front of the mirror every day. Just look yourself square in the eyeball and say, Hello, you good-looking, blessed, healed, prosperous thing, you! you got to set yourself straight sometimes. Amen? That would be prideful, wouldn't it? You know, Moses, in uh, Deuteronomy or Numbers, I forget. One or the other. Says Moses, Deuteronomy, Moses was the meekest, most humble man. Who's accredited for more or less writing, or, or uh, that's a bigger conversation. But let's just say it that way. Who wrote Deuteronomy? Oh, brother Mo. And oh, brother Mo said Moses was the meekest man on earth. He wrote another. You know, Moses wrote another book that's that that's not in the the biblical canon called. Humility and how I achieved it. 
he did a follow-up called, and I forget, wasn't there an old country musician or somebody who said uh, something about proud to be humble? Who was that? Proud to be humble, I forget. Kenny Rogers? It's hard to be humble. Yeah, that's it. That, thank you, Orla. Oh, Lord. It's hard to be, <laughs> hard to be humble. <laughs> it's hard to be I'm wearing a jacket that says arrogant on the sleeve, by the way. Yep. You know, I got this. Uh, this is English Laundry. English Laundry, which is a good brand. Um, I got this when, were we dating? Or were we that place that is in downtown? It changes to something new about every six months. It's a workout place. It was an Asian food place. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's the type of scholarly work right there. That's. Thank you, Ray. <laughs> Age-long mysteries are crumbling before our eyes. I mean. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. We are getting, we're getting stuff done around here. <laughs> oh, boy. I know I got more nonsense to say, so we'll see how long it takes till we get to it. Hallelujah. You're welcome, by the way. She had all the ladies. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that, Ray. Jane, one more, and we got to bring you in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got bigger problems here. You know, I've, honest to goodness, never just had any affinity for country music. But I like, <laughs> Jane said amen. But I do like some of that old stuff, like uh, Hank Williams Jr., Willie Nelson, Buddy. Anybody know Willie Nelson's song, Buddy? That's a great two-minute song, two-and-a-half minutes long. And Buddy's about every other word. Buddy. Anyways, some of that old stuff. Uh, John Denver. Love some John Denver. Anybody? Which is, his real last name was uh, Dischendorf or something like that. I feel like my, when I found that out a few years ago, I thought my childhood was just ruined. I've been believing a lie this whole time. Well, God help us. Let's keep going. Isaiah 54. Check this out. Verse 9. He says, For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn... You know, God doesn't have to swear. Do you swear? I swear to God. You know, that's there's the few... I swear on my mama. I swear on old Yahweh, you know. Well, who's he going to swear to? He is. Swear to myself. I guess that's what he would say. But nonetheless, he goes, in other words, he goes out of his way, you know, to, to drive this point home for us. This is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth. Now look at this. This is incredible. So I have sworn. Isaiah 54, 9. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor rebuke. Verse 10. For the mountains will depart, and the hills will be removed, but my kindness will not depart, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord, who has mercy on you. That's just good stuff. Uh, verse, jump down to verse 17. And this is a very, you know, very often used and heard and uh, type of scripture, even if we don't always quite recall where it's at. Isaiah 54, 17, he says, No weapon formed against you will prosper. Well, I can dig that. 
And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And then he says, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So the reason no weapon formed against us can prosper or win, you know, and the reason that we can condemn whatever tries to condemn us is because our righteousness is from the Lord. And His righteousness is unfailing. Never takes a day off. Thank God. Got a few more things to look at here. Um, jumping around a lot, I know. Let's look at Romans 14. More uh, interesting stuff here in Romans 14. It's very powerful stuff. And then I got some quotes I want to read to you here. Romans chapter 14. Is it warm or is that just me and a coat? Feel free to hit a soul. And you don't pay me. <laughs> Good man. Manopause. Yeah. Well done. It's going to feed you again today. <laughs> I, do, I do what I can. Okay. <laughs> no. Good call. Good call. I was there. I stepped right up to that line. I looked over it. And I liked what I saw. But that woman reeled me back in. He that finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen. Romans 14, and then let's start in verse 14. Paul says, I know and am, this stuff's just amazing. He says, I know and am convinced in the Lord that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But to him who thinks anything is unclean. Remember earlier in forever, you've heard, uh, perception is reality. Nothing's unclean um, in and of itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, it is unclean. And that gets into, um, you know, there are certain things who, or that are, you know, which are, I, I have a friend um, from Florida, and Elzebub, Lord of the Flies there. That joke. Anyways, uh, years ago, my friend, Tom, was his name, is his name, and Tom said that the Lord had, uh, what the word would be, talked to him, convinced him, whatever, to stop drinking pot. Well, for Tom, that, that if you understand what I'm trying to say, that made it unclean, as it were, for him. But that's not some universal, you, you understand what I'm trying to, there are those aspects, not everything's just black and white, you know. Um, you know, I heard Jesse DePlanis say, a uh, handful of years ago, that he was out to eat. I don't know if his wife or ministering or what he was doing, but he went out to eat and he ordered, you know, uh, apple juice, whatever. Now, it had nothing, you know, Coca-Cola, I don't know, whatever it was. And instead, they brought him his absolute, very specific, favorite liquor from before he knew the Lord. You know, he used to drink fifth a day, one of those types of, you know, whatever. I don't know what he actually drank, but. He was getting down with it, you know, and he said, took it, he didn't swallow it, but he, you know, he goes to take the drink in his mouth and then spits it out, and it, he said it took him six months to get over that, that taste, just kind of, he kept, he wanted it, 
craved it, started, you know, it, you know that type of thing. Um, that's not true for everybody, you know. Uh, some people, former alcoholic, meets the Lord, whatever, you know, take communion, do juice instead of wine, so it doesn't, they can't take it. It's not, whatever you want to put, not ready for it, can't handle it, can't take it, shouldn't, whatever. Some people, not a problem. So some things aren't just black and white in that sense. I know I'm belaboring the point here, but notice this. Verse 15, he says, for, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Then he says this, do not destroy with food, with your food, him for whom Christ died. Verse 16, therefore, do not let what is good for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. And then verse 17, so beautiful. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in Holy Spirit. Mm. And you know, Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 21, the kingdom of God is within you, right? And so what is this kingdom? Righteousness, peace, and joy in Holy Spirit. So wherever Holy Spirit is, there is righteousness, peace, and joy. Does that make sense? Uh, verse 18, he says, For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Uh, I don't want to get bogged down in these, but the rest of these verses are pretty good. But just look down in verse 23. Another powerful scripture. He says, He who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he is eating not from faith. Verse 23. For whatever is not of faith is what? Missing the mark. Sin. So he kind of sums up the whole issue there. Now, um, as I start, basically, first close, turn to Galatians here. And then I got some quotations I want to read in light of, uh, I think, some very good quotations here from uh, Galatians. And we'll begin in verse Galatians 2, beginning in verse Paul says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man, not guessing, not I think so, you know, knowing that a man is not made righteous or justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. And then he sums it up there. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Right? By the works of the law, everybody say, no flesh. So by the works of the law, Paul says, no flesh will be justified. There's a lot in that. Um, but part of what he, at the heart of what he part that he's getting at here. So not even the Jewish people to whom the law was originally given, they cannot be justified by their own law because that's not the purpose of the law. It, it can only diagnose. It can't remedy, right? And so Paul says, no flesh. 
will be justified by the work. This really, thankfully, gets at the heart of and um, clears up a lot of confusion on certain way, you know, ways of thinking. You know, I, perhaps some of you have, but have have any of you ever heard the te- you know teachings? Um, sometimes it's called dual covenant, but the idea that there's really no need to evangelize the Jewish people because they have their own covenant. Uh, but that's what bad eschatology does. It says, but no flesh is justified by the law. So why would God discard the blood of Jesus and go back to a system that at best can tell you what's wrong with you and damn, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So no flesh will be justified. Verse 17. Or actually, no, let me, let me get to these quotations here in verse 16. Um, these are from Mark on the book of Galatians. Very good reading. So just a few quotes here for you from Luther. First one's very short. And this is, this is really good. This first, I just, so good. He says this, Those who seek to earn the grace of God by their own efforts are trying to please God with sin. Sins. Those who seek to earn the grace of God by their own efforts are trying to please God in reality with their own sins. Does that make Yeah. Here's another, a little bit longer, not too long. He says, we say that faith, this is all his commentary on this verse, by the way, verse 16. He says, we say that faith apprehends Jesus Christ. Christian faith is not an inactive quality in the heart. If it is true faith, it will surely take Christ for its own. Christ, this is good. Christ apprehended by faith and dwelling in the heart constitutes Christian righteousness, for which God gives eternal life. So, faith that apprehends Christ, you understand that verbiage, you know? You actually believe and lay hold of the gift. Um, He says, it's very simple, but I think it's profound. That in and of itself constitutes Christian righteousness. So, so to believe, like I mean, dead or alive, not really too much of an in-between, Pregnant or not, not really an in-between state. Same thing with Christian biblical righteousness. It's not part, there's, no, there's nothing in Scripture about, well, you're partially righteous. But if you would just get over these few little hang-ups that you have, or confess your most recent mistakes, um, or get your act together finally, um, then you'll be really or fully righteous. But that's not the scriptural teaching. Righteous or not. Now, uh, another one here. <clears throat> Let's see here. This one. Okay, yeah. It says this. In order to have faith, you must have, you must paint a true portrait of Christ. Any, some of his so-called opponents, I guess you would say, he says this. The scholastic, the scholastics caricature, you know, of Jesus, the scholastics caricature, turn Christ into a judge and tormentor. Boy, that's true. But Christ is no lawgiver. He is the life giver. Woo! That's pretty good. Christ is no lawgiver. He is the life giver. He is the forgiver of sins. You must believe that Christ might have atoned for the sins of the world, 
with one single drop of his blood. Instead, he shed his blood abundantly in order that he might give abundant satisfaction for our sins. And then I got one more here. And then again, this is all Luther's commentary on Galatians 2.16. It's not a, this. After we have taught faith in Christ, then we can teach good work. Since you have found Christ by work and to do well, love God, call upon God, give thanks unto Him, praise Him, confess Him. These are good works. Let them flow from a cheerful heart because you have remission of sin. Crosses and afflictions come our way. We bear them patiently. For Christ's yoke is easy and His burden is light. When sin has been pardoned, this is good. When sin has been pardoned, a Christian can endure all things. To give a short definition of a Christian, a Christian is not somebody who has no sin, but somebody against whom God no longer chalks sin because of his faith in Christ. This doctrine brings comfort to consciences in serious trouble. Almost through. When a person is a Christian, he is above law and sin. When the law accuses him and sin wants to drive the wits out of him, yep, a Christian looks to Christ. A Christian is free. He has no master except Christ. A Christian is greater than the whole world. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified. The true way of becoming a Christian, last statement here on this, is to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. Amen? I know that, but I love, I, there's a lot of, I mean, every bit of that basically was good, but um, I, I like the second quotation there. He says, Christ is no lawgiver. He is the life giver, the forgiver of sins. Thank you. Um, a couple more things here, maybe, and then I'll be finished. Let's look at this righteousness buffet today. First Corinthians 3 says, no flesh or no man says, so that no flesh or no man can boast before God. But look at verse 30. But by his doing, not ours, his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, and then he lists these four things, wisdom from God, wisdom and righteousness and holiness and redemption. So if I had, you know, nothing else at all, at the very least, Jesus' righteousness, right standing with God, sanctification, holiness, and redemption. He's purchased us back. So notice there, though, he's very clear about this. He says, but by his doing, right? So we don't do this. Jesus is our wisdom. So if you need wisdom, thank God we can look to Jesus. He is the wisdom. Proverbs chapter backing this thought here, really. That wisdom is something that was with God before that was Jesus. Because all things, Colossians 1, John 1, many other places, all things were made by him 
through him, and without him, nothing was made. So he is the wisdom of Abba. But thank God, he's also, as Paul says here, our right standing with God. So think about that. Jesus is our righteousness. He himself is. So whatever is, you know, is, so you could, you could think of it this way. Is Jesus righteous? And he's my righteousness. Not just he gives, not like gives you some. It's that he himself is our righteousness. And since he's never unrighteous, that means that our right standing with God doesn't fluctuate. Because 1 John 4, as he is, what are we? So are we in this world, right? So that's pretty good news. And then, and then he goes on, in our sanctification. So Jesus has been made. So Hebrews 12, for example, says, let all men pursue peace and holiness, for without holiness no man will see the Lord. A lot of implications to that. But that's the same Greek word here as it often is in the New Testament. Holiness. Um, Jesus is our holiness, which is awesome. Because my holy, but thank God, Jesus is our holiness. Woo! I, I heard a, a beautiful right standing or righteousness is God's gift to us, but holiness is our gift to Him. And that would be good if Christ ha, yeah, has been made unto us wisdom, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And biblically, the opposite of long. So that's what, you know, unclean or common, what I, Gentiles, who hadn't even heard the gospel yet. But the Lord says, I've sanctified them. And Brother Hagen elaborations on some of these points too. That uh, the way Brother Hagen has put this issue as well is that Jesus is, so to speak, of those, so he belongs to the world. In this sense, for God so loved the world. And so whoever Jesus died happened. Of course, everyone needs to believe it uh, and receive it and experience it. But nonetheless here, though, think Acts chapter 2, eat. He says, no, Lord. But, now, we know the whole story. He's using that as a way of getting it across. Yeah, bacon, but it also won't send you to hell. But the bigger point here, Pete, is that those, you know, bacon-wrapped, shrimp-eating Gentiles have been sanctified unto me. They don't belong to Satan. They are sanctified unto me. Go let them know. You know, that type of thing. So, nonetheless, I, I got to move on here. Uh, but look at verse 31. He says, So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in his good works. And let him boast what? In the Lord. Amen? Uh, let me give you one last second, Timothy. Chapter 3, very familiar verse. Paul says, And from child that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All scripture is God breathed or inspired, profitable for reproof, for correction, for and then the inning righteousness and the better training with better literal translation for training we know that 
A lot in this, though, but again, all Scripture is in God-breathed, inspired by God. Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training. In, in other words, he's summing it all up here. Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching. Okay? How, Paul? It's, it's profitable for reproof. How, Paul? It's profitable for correction. How, Paul? For training righteousness. So it's the, in other words, what he's saying here, proper understanding of our righteousness. We don't grow in righteousness, but we do grow in our understanding, right, of our being made righteous in Jesus and what that entails. So in other words, we have to get this part right. We've got to get this foundational issue correct, and that's how. Uh, much of Paul's ministry, just read the New Testament. You know, his epistles in many places predominantly dealt with this issue, bringing correction, bringing reproof for the training. Because as we looked at Romans 9 a week or two ago, it says Israel did not become righteous because they sought to establish it by their own works. But the Gentiles, who weren't even looking to it, because they received it by faith. And not so Paul was ever giving the training, as it says in the Greek here, the training which is in righteousness. And that also harkens back to what we looked at in Hebrews 5, whenever he says, those who have their spirit good and evil, and that is on the solid food of righteousness. Um, I think I'm finished. Does anyone have any thoughts or questions? All right, I'll take that as a no. Um, um, let me put this verse, this is just, you know, we're finished, but um, verse we reference here just all the time, mentioned it earlier, it says, he made him who knew no sin, sin, so that we would be made the righteousness of Don't Orla. <laughs> Orla won't talk you out, a demon or, is this, this resonates, that's what I thought, it's the same thing many of you were taught, and it comes in different packages, right? The, we, the, the John did the same thing. So the Wesleyan tradition was, oh yeah, you're saved by grace. But sanctification is a second, more or less, but, but it amounts to the same thing. Well, you're saved, you're kind of right. Get there if you were. Um, and different groups have different ways of approaching it. And I, I would recommend that we, we can't, he did. I mean, it's, it's not just he can, he already has, you know. And we are. Hmm. Uh, the, the more Arminian, Wesley, you know, any number of Pentecostal ways of looking at it, just different, you know, as I mentioned a lot. Saved by grace, yes, but you become righteous. You become holy. You become this, that, and the other. And, you know, I just think all the time, if you could, surely most of us would have worked for your own salvation. That's how we think of it, you know. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Work out your, yeah. Uh, I'm finished if you are. Any other thoughts? Hey, was Andrew? But he was there. Hey, I expect Andrew to let all right. feed dial, I thought. We're tight, you know, land. Nope. doesn't mean you ignore it. Always want to approach. Hover. Hover around. Hey, don't. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org. 